0: Good morning and happy Father's Day. Uh, if you don't know, my son's the, the blonde head little boy that uh, couldn't give much of an answer. So yeah, it, um, I'm gonna start talking and yet yeah, it looks like I'm, I'm totally absent in his life, right? <laughs> so uh, yesterday we had a Philippines um, trip meeting and there's, there's about five people that are going on that trip that don't go to this church and it was here and Kelsey came by with, with the kids to, to bring me something. Uh, that I'd left at the house. And so Major, a uh, little boy in video, he, he comes and sits in my lap. And uh, I said, tell him what your name is, Major. And then I've asked him some other things that he definitely answers and knows and he did the exact same thing. So I didn't know this morning when I saw that video that he was gonna be in it. And I was back there like, come on, say something. <laughs> <laughs> say something, because if you, if you don't know him, um, um, that's where he gets that from, right? You, then you, you might not know, you might think, oh, that's, that's normal, but like he talks and he talks and he talks and he talks. So he got serious stage fright by that light in that video shining in his eyes, no doubt. Uh, but, but good morning again, happy Father's Day. And if, if you came this morning or if you're invited this morning and you thought that you were going to get to hear the third part of the mini-series within the mini-series within the series that Joel was doing about biblical sex, Sorry, you'll have to come back next week to get that. Today, we are going to talk about dads. We're gonna talk about disciples. And um, one of the things in doing some research that we'll get to a little bit here, just a little bit about Father's Day that I found is that Father's Day traditionally uh, is the least attended church Sunday in the evangelical church of the entire year. And so I started thinking about that and put two and two together and realized that's probably why Joel took vacation this week and is out of here. And I'm the one that's up here talking. And then I was watching the worship and I realized like, oh, our worship pastor's not here either. So, but, but I'm here. So you're stuck with me for a little bit. But um, today on a day when we celebrate dads, what I wanna spend a majority of the time looking at is what it means to be a disciple. Another word that starts with a D. But before we dive into the scripture on that about what it looks like to be a disciple, I wanna take a look at some numbers that, that I find extremely important within our culture today. Um, We live in a culture that's all but dismiss the necessity that a man is to play the role a man is to play within society, within the context of society, and more importantly, even than that, within the context of the family. And I hope that as we get into some of the statistics, it shows you how important it is um, how important it is that, that dads are involved and that dads um, are present, and then going on from there, how significant the role of dads is within the spiritual growth of young people. So in 1960 in the U.S., 9% of kids were growing up in single-parent homes, and that's 21% now, and that's three times the rate of the rest of the world. If you look at the rest of the world, it's seven, um, it's 7% that are growing up in single parent homes. In the United States, it's 21%. 18.4 million kids are growing up without a dad at home and 24.7 million without their birth father. So 30, that's 33% of all kids. So how does this impact society? I'm gonna share, share some numbers on this uh, uh, before we, we get into the bulk of, of the scripture that we're gonna be looking at today. But um, I, I wanna preface it by saying this. If you are a single mom in here, if you grew up in a single parent home, if you were raised by an aunt or a grandparent, if you are that right now, if you're being, being raised by just one person right now, you don't have to be a part of this number. Just because it's a statistic doesn't mean that you have to be part of the statistic, right? Raise your kids in the Lord. The Lord is faithful. But I do want us to look at these numbers, though, just to see how, just to see how significant they are. Here's some numbers of what what father, fatherlessness looks like in America, 90% of homeless and runaway kids are from fatherless homes. 63% of teen suicides are kids from fatherless homes. 85% of behavioral disorders are kids from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are kids from fatherless homes. For teenage girls, they're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager in a home without a dad. Teens are 20 times more likely to be incarcerated if they're um, coming from a home that does not have a dad at home. Kids are 11 times more likely to exhibit Um, violent behavior from fatherless homes. Kids without dads are are four times at greater risk of poverty. Um, They're more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs. They're two times um, at greater risk for infant mortality and two times more likely to suffer from obesity. So when a dad is present, infant mortality, emotional and behavioral problems, neglect and abuse, injury, obesity, poor school performance, teen pregnancy, incarceration, substance abuse, criminal activity, and suicide all decrease significantly. So we can lower crime rate, we can lower mental health issues, we can help the economy, we can lower suicide rates, and we can decrease homelessness by bringing back a family nucleus the way that God intended it to be. But we live in a culture that thinks that they have a better way than God's way, a better design for the family. And if you can look at the numbers, it's catastrophic. Because God created male, he created female, as Joel talked about going through biblical sex to have children to populate the earth. And for those children then to learn how to have relationship with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, uh, to talk with Jesus. And um, he established that family and he established roles in that family. And and one of the stats that I want us to go back to, that I want us to pay attention to, that's surprising to me, and I'm still even saying it, I'm a little bit surprised by it, that shows how important a role is of a male and a female in a home, And specifically on Father's Day, looking at the role of a dad right here is the one that kids are 20 times more likely to be incarcerated if they don't have a dad growing up in a house without a dad. Now, the thing that's crazy about that stat is the number is the same if it's just a dad raising the kid. So a kid being raised by just a dad is still 20 times less likely to be incarcerated Now, am I saying that we don't need moms? Moms are insignificant, absolutely not. I think that Kelsey's role, the stuff that she does on a day-to-day basis is way harder than anything that I do as a dad. I look at that and it's just like I'm blown away at how much she's doing for our kids. She is absolutely needed. The dad's also absolutely needed. There are roles that are important that God has established. So those are a few numbers um, about fatherlessness in the home on a larger scale here in the U.S., but I said we'd look at like the spiritual impact and the impact of, of kids being in church because we live in a culture that ignores these truths as well. And as I started out saying, Father's Day traditionally is the least attended Sunday of the year in a church. Mother's Day, on the other hand, is the second most attended Sunday in a church behind Easter. Well, why is that? I think you, you could say, well, Father's Day's in the summer, a lot of people are on vacation, they're traveling and stuff like that. And, and I believe that that, that does play a role and there's an impact there but I also believe that there is um I also believe that there's this expectation or there's this thought that the way to honor mom is to go to church with her to spend time as a family that's how you're going to honor your mom and that the way to honor dad is to let him do his thing for him to fish for him to play golf we're going to do something else we're going to do something dad wants to do on this day there's a serious disconnect there Now, being a Christian, it's not all about church attendance, of course, but but as Christians, should we go to church? Absolutely. We're part of the body. We're part um, of the church. We are the church. A new family that we've been purchased into, been bought with the blood of Christ, and we're to live out the roles that we have in the body. And within a church setting, we receive growth, encouragement, instruction, exhortation. We experience Christian fellowship, corporate worship, and praise. And statistics show that while moms have an impact on their kids being in church when they get older, the impact of the dads is even far more significant. So I want us to see this. Here's the impact of kids later in life when mothers and fathers attend church regularly or irregularly, like they're, maybe they're going once a month, every once in a while. If a father goes regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two thirds and three fourths of those kids will also be in church when they're adults. If the father attends irregularly every once in a while, between one half and two thirds of those kids will be in church as adults, regularly as adults. If the mother does not go to church, but the father does regularly, that's a minimum two thirds that we said, right? That will be in church when when they're adults. If it's reversed the other way around and it's the mom that goes regularly, but the dad is not going to church with them, that flips on its head. And it's two thirds who are not in church when they are adults. So what about involvement past just attending a Sunday service? When both parents attend Sunday school, a Bible study, they're involved more in the church throughout the week, 72% of their children will also be that um, as adults. When the, when the father attends a Sunday school, a Bible study, they're doing more, 55% of the children will also do the same as adults. When it's the mother that attends Sunday school and um, the father's not involved in that or a Bible study or something like that, a small group, 15% of the children will attend as adults. And when neither parent attends, 6% of the children will attend as adults. Another survey, and this is a number that I think is the craziest. Now, maybe when you met your wife, you were saved, she was saved. I don't know if this statistic really applies, but if you have kids and no one's saved and someone gets saved in the home, listen to these stats. If a child is the first person in a household to be saved, there's a 3.5% probability that everyone else in that household will be saved. If a mom is the first in the household to be saved, there is a 17% probability that the rest of the household will follow and everyone in the house will be saved. If the dad is the first in a home to be saved, there's a 93% probability that everyone else in that home will be saved. Now, I was blessed as a kid to have a dad that if I got up early enough, I saw he was uh, reading his Bible. He had me at Sunday school. He had me at church. And this is becoming more and more rare. And so what happens is then mom has to assume that role of being spiritual leader in the home. And like I said at the beginning, if you're a woman and you've had to assume that role, God can absolutely use you in that. You don't have to become part of the statistic. My first year doing youth ministry, we had a girl who was unbelievably faithful. And to my knowledge, she still is, um, to the Lord. And her dad was an atheist and her mom never went to church. She wasn't part of the statistic. But for us as parents though, we need to take the words that God has given us seriously. We're going to look at them today. I want us to look just, just real quick at, at what he says to Moses that Moses wrote down in Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. And then apply that to our lives and how we raise our kids. It says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Look, our kids are bombarded with lies everywhere, bombarded with lies. The average school-age boy spends 30 minutes, 30 minutes talking to a dad or a father figure in his life throughout the course of a seven-day week. That same kid spends an, a- an average of 44 hours per week watching TV, playing video games, or on the internet on their phone. So with all the lies, all the stuff that's coming, where is truth gonna come from? It's got to come from somewhere. But more than just hearing the truth, the challenge that we'll see today is to live it out as well. So for men, that, men today, the solution as believers in Christ, as disciples, to be in your kid's life more? Absolutely. To talk to them about spiritual things all the time. Have spiritual conversations with your kids, but also for them to see that your faith is real and that your faith is alive. And this is where I believe there's this disconnect, not just with dads, but with moms too, parents that claim to be believers in Jesus. And and that's that our kids and that the world around us doesn't see that we're disciples, that Christ is the most important thing in our lives. Now, can you have a good mom or a good dad or be a good mom or dad and, and not even be a follower of Jesus or not be a believer? I mean, I don't think as good as you could be, but those stats about single parent homes, if you look in China, if you look in India, it hovers around three or 4% of kids that are growing up in single parent homes. If you look at, you know, it's it's, what are you using as your metric to evaluate what's good and what's not good? Because if it's, you know, a high earning potential, Indian Americans are the highest earning demographic. Their families take the family unit, I, I lived in India, they take the family unit very seriously. They take education very, very seriously. So are majority of the people there believers? No. So on, on evaluating in some ways, then sure, you can be a good mom or, or dad and, and not be a believer. But as a believer, without first being a disciple, can you be the best dad, the best mom, the best student, the best worker, the best son or daughter that God would have you be? No. And so that's where I want us to go for the rest of this service, exploring what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus. So a a disciple in general is a pupil or a student of a teacher or school. And um, what we have to understand is that we're disciples of something. We are disciples of something. We follow something. Something has the largest impact in our life. So maybe you would say, well, I'm not a follower of anything. I'm not a follower. I'm I'm a leader. Or or, I just kind of do my own thing. Even if you say that, here's the thing, you're not the first to do it. And even if you are, you live in a world that promotes different things. There's being things that are thrown in your face all the time that are impacting decisions that you're making. You're hearing things, you're watching things, you're listening to people. And this is true for all of us. Even if you're just going to school, even if you're just raising kids, even if you're just um, coming home, playing video games, doing homework, or um, you're just coming home, passing out on the couch and falling asleep, something is impacting your life. So what you could argue though is like, I don't really follow anything, I'm not devoted to following anything. Um, and I, I'm gonna use this word fan here, that maybe you're just more of a fan of different things. Um, the, the pastor at Southeast Christian, Kyle Eidelman, one of the, the 10 largest churches um, in the country up in Louisville, he wrote this book years ago called Not a Fan. It, it was really geared toward youth, but I think it's impactful to a lot of people. And um, it, it really explains the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And I'll use this illustration of someone that's a fan of Tennessee football. Fall comes around, Saturdays, the game's on, right? You're a fan, you want them to win. If you go to a party or something, the game's on. You pay attention like, oh, what was the score, right? If you miss some of it, it's not like you got to record every snap or any, anything like that or go back and watch it. But, but you're an observer and, and you're a fan. And then you have other people that are followers, they know recruiting news. They know the injury report. They know what's going on with coaches. They know what's going on with the transfer portal. Some of y'all have no idea what that means. They know what the two deep is. Some of y'all have no idea what that means, right? But they are following the team. They are deeply invested. They care about these things. Now, some of y'all might get up and walk out. But a lot of y'all know this, that I'm a huge Ohio State fan. My dad played there, you don't, don't boo me. Okay, I would say I'm more of a follower. <laughs> right, I would say I'm more of a follower and I say that because if I'm watching the game with just a casual fan I'm probably gonna have to get up and go to another room so th- there's some stuff there that I need to work on but let's take this example here with that example in mind think of some characteristics to describe a fan of Jesus this is someone who maybe they enthusiastically watch they admire, they enjoy it I would say this person maybe they attend church maybe they enjoy Christian music or go to, go to Christian concerts They put Christian things on their social media sometimes, but when it comes to serving, when it comes to a a life committed to Christ, they're more on the sidelines. It's it's not like he's changing how they would live their life that much otherwise. What about some characteristics of someone who is a follower of Jesus? A follower is someone who's fully committed, who's devoted. This is someone, I would say, who's actively sharing the gospel, who's learning from God, who's spending time, intimate time with God, faith is what is the thing that is driving their decision making they're loving others like jesus they are committed to obeying the teachings of jesus quote from the book says this fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work but jesus wants complete renovation fans come to jesus jesus thinking tune up but Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans think a little decorating is required, but Jesus wants a complete remodel. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. So all of that being said, is a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, a born again believer, supposed to be a fan or follower of Jesus? The answer is follower. The answer is clearly follower. And we're gonna look at that today We're called to be followers, and I would argue that the church in America is filled with too many people that are just fans. They're casual observers and too few followers. So what is a disciple of Jesus? We've looked at this a little bit because we looked at what a disciple is, so we're not gonna spend a lot of time here. But a disciple of Jesus is a pupil or a follower of Jesus. It's someone who learns from Jesus and his teachings and then puts that into practice in their lives. David Guzik says, disciples are followers of Jesus. They have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus as their savior. They have died to themselves and surrendered their lives to him as Lord. Christ now lives in them, transforming everything about them from the inside out. So that being said, who should be? A disciple of Jesus. And Acts 11, 26, it says that when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It wasn't like they were Christians And then there were a select few Christians that were doing the Christian thing really well and they gave them the name disciples. No, it was disciples, the ones who were following Jesus that were first called Christians. Because Christian is is little Christ, They're, they're following after Christ, doing the things that Christ was doing. It was disciples, not just like the original 12 minus Judas. It was disciples, those who were born again believers who were following Christ and they were given the name Christians. And, you know, a lot lot of people in, in our country, they would, especially in the South, right, they'd be fine, maybe not as much so as 20 years ago when I was growing up, but they would be fine checking Christian box on a survey, right, if that's something that, or a demographic thing that they have to select something. They're fine checking that Christian. If you ask a lot of people, would you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? That's gonna be a lot harder question. Am I a disciple of Jesus? I don't know why, because that becomes more intimate. You start thinking about the things you do in your life am I following a person? Am I following this person, the God man? Am I following him? Does he impact my life like that? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And that's a harder question than just to check Christian on a box. But if you're a new creation in Christ, you're to be a disciple. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, behold, the new has come. So disciples are new creations who now follow Jesus rather than the world, rather than their own old flesh. And Jesus calls disciples to go with him throughout the gospel accounts. And there's two words that he uses to call someone over and over and over. We see it 22 times in the gospel accounts, and the words are, follow me. 22 times. I'm going to read you one from each of the gospel accounts in Matthew 4.19. He said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. In Mark 2, 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. In Luke 18, 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. His message is to follow me. And then we see the message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus is to repent and believe because there's a new kingdom here. There is a new kingdom. You're turning from your old life. You're part of this kingdom. Mark 1:15. 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So the call to follow Jesus is a call to turn from our old life, trusting in Christ, following after him. And maybe you think, well, that's just how Jesus called people. That's just how it was called, and then he was crucified, and, and now it's different. You can be a Christian, not a disciple. But throughout the New Testament, when people believe, we see that they become disciples. In Acts 14 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So when they preach the gospel and the people believe, what are they making? Not just converts, but disciples. And this is because, as I tell our students all the time, an encounter with Jesus has to change everything about you. Why is that? You're telling me that you truly believe that there was a man that walked the earth, that made God claims, that got him crucified. He was hung on a tree. He, he told them it was going to happen. And then he was buried. And then he rose up, proving that he was who he said he was. And you say that you believe that, and then your life continues to look the same. I don't see how that's possible Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So all believers are to be disciples. What should we do? What should disciples of Jesus do? One is we should make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. They're to make disciples, not just converts. The converts were going to be disciples. Number two, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. We have a new job. We have a task that's been given to us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, it says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Who is us here? It's believers, all right? When he says, giving us a ministry, that means service. It's not like the minister, it is service. It's the service of believers, to tell people to be reconciled to Christ. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Number three, disciples love one another. John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. More on that in just a second. John 8, 31, disciples are to to follow Jesus's teachings. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So disciples make followers of Jesus. They teach them what Jesus has taught. They love others well. They share truth. They help other people grow in their faith. What is it not? Sometimes we we, we conflate this with like, this is some call that we're going to be super nice. We are the most super duper nice people. Right, And as a believer, you should have this joy that comes from your life. You should be nice people. But that doesn't mean sitting on the sidelines. That doesn't mean not sharing your faith. That doesn't mean speaking truth because if we do all those things, it's not loving. It's not a loving thing. Loving others well is about sacrificing of yourself, pointing them to Christ and leading them in truth. It does not mean affirming sin. So ask yourself, Look at these things that a disciple should do. Am I doing these things in my life? Am I learning from Jesus? And then in my life, am I, am I putting them into practice? Is there an overflow in my life that I'm following Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did? The Bible says that, that believers, were gonna produce fruit, some less than others. But we have work that, that we've been called to do. So the fourth thing I want us to look at is what will it cost me to be a disciple of Jesus? And maybe some of you guys have never even asked this question. And before we examine this, because we're really gonna dive into this passage, what will it cost me to be a disciple of Jesus? I first want you to understand that it costs nothing to be born again, right? It costs nothing to have your eternity changed forever. That's a free gift. It costs nothing of yourself, right? Right? But if you're actively following Jesus, the answer to this other question, it could be everything. It could cost everything. Let's read Luke 14, 25 through 33. Let's really dive into this. It says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This passage in Luke 14 occurs at a time when Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. Luke 9 to 19, I believe, Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. People have seen him that are following him, have seen him do miracles, right? They've seen him make blind people see, make lame walk. They're starting to believe, okay, this this might be the time. This is the Messiah. What do the Jewish people think that this Messiah is going to do? They think that he's gonna overthrow Rome. They think that he's gonna usher in this new reign, right? And so they're excited to follow him because they think they're gonna be part of this new kingdom. And then Jesus throws this teaching on them. They think that he's going to be king, he says, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And he shares that with them over and over and, and, and they don't get it. They're not getting it in the moment. And so he presents this difficult teaching to them. And he presents this difficult teaching to them right after he, he shares this parable. The parable's about a banquet and there's a master or a king that has this banquet. And it's a picture of salvation because he's sending out this invitation, inviting people into this banquet. And as soon as people hear the invitation, they start making excuses of why they can't come to the banquet. So they're making excuses why they can't come to the banquet. He says, okay, all right, go to the streets and the alleys, go to, go to other places in the city and bring the poor and maimed and blind and lame. And, and they do that and they come back and say, okay, we did that. There's still room. And he says, okay, go to the highways and go to the hedges and invite them. And what this is a picture of is the message that's going out to the Jewish people the kingdom of heaven is here, repent and believe. There's people not accepting it. There's people not believing it. And so th- then what's he say? Okay, go to the Gentiles. Those who receive the invitation through faith, we see in parallel passages in the gospel, are the ones that are clothed in a white red- wedding garment. How are you clothed in the right white- wedding garment? It's through faith. It's through faith in Christ. Okay, so he's showing how he received this invitation. And then he follows that up, you receive this invitation, this is the cost of following me. This is the cost of following me. Jesus is saying there's more than just receiving the invitation. You've received the invitation, now you're to follow. It's not the following part that saves, but those who have truly trusted in Christ will truly follow. Maybe you've heard this illustration of someone um, that, that has a parachute on, and they're gonna go skydiving, they're gonna jump out of this plane, and they get close to the edge, and they've done the research and stuff, and they know that it's rare, that this parachute's not gonna save them. They believe the parachute's gonna save them, they believe it here in their head, but they freak out and back off. I can't do it, I can't do it. They've got the head knowledge, they believe, they've done the research, but they don't trust enough to jump, right? So Jesus gives some tough teaching here about following him. It starts by saying if we don't hate our families, our own life, we can't follow him. Now he's using hyperbole here and he's showing how all other relationships we have must take lower priority than our relationship to Jesus. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So if we look at this passage about hating your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter in Luke chapter 14, I want us to understand first of all that this is a reality for people all over the world, for Jewish people, for Muslim people, for Hindu people. There's many of them that when they come to Christ, it is a decision that I'm choosing Jesus over ever having any relationship with anyone in my family ever again, unless that person comes to Christ. Now I'd imagine for most of you, your decision to follow Jesus was not that drastic when it came to what it meant for for you and your family. But what about for us? Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody that's causing you to sin, or maybe you have a family member that's pulling you away from church, from your spiritual growth. Do you love Jesus more? Maybe you have a career or a hobby that's taking you away from personal discipleship and spiritual growth. Do you love Jesus more? Because if we call Jesus Lord, if he is Lord of our lives, then shouldn't he control our lives more than other people? You see, if your love for others surpasses your love for Christ as a believer, you're gonna start having some conflict. You're gonna ha- start having some problems. So number one, it says we're to love Jesus more than our own family. And then it says more than your own self. And this is against the, the natural tendency of our flesh because our natural tendency is to follow our personal fleshly desires, my career, my hobbies. But as, as disciples of Jesus, our consideration for ourselves has to be much lower than what we believe about Christ and how that leads us to follow him. Now, I'll say this, that, that all of this is only possible, right? With, with the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within us because the, the little boy that was on the video, in, in my flesh, it's impossible for me to love God more than I love him. But with the power of the spirit at work in me, it's possible. And so what's that mean? Because our flesh, we, we wanna love our kids so much and stuff. What it means is a lot of times we desire so much for our kids in life, that we, we don't take a step back and say, okay, is this what God desires for them? Or is this just the cultural norm? Are these the expectations of society? And I think that like, because Society has said, this is what's best for a kid. This is how they should be raised. These are all the activities and things that they should do that I need to have them doing those things in order to be a good parent. Are we able to take a step back and say, okay, what does God say about them? Because when we are loving them well, we are disciples of Jesus first. Jesus pushes this even further in Luke 14, 27. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These guys think we're gonna go overthrow Rome this guy's the Messiah, we're following him, we're listening to him, we're seeing him do all these things, he's gonna set up his kingdom. And then Jesus throws to them, hey, you gotta take up your cross and follow me. And this would be horrifying to anyone who heard that because it meant following to death because no one carried a cross for fun. They knew that this was an instrument of torture and humiliation and death, taking up your cross meant not coming back. It was a one-way journey. So for believers now, in many cases, and, and as we, you know, illustrate or, or lay out here, um, if you, if you were here in October, Missions month, we really show this. For for a lot of people, it, it really does mean that. Some people it might mean you lose your family. Some people it might mean you really die. What about for us here? If it doesn't mean either of those things, well, it means that ultimately following the life and pattern of Jesus is what's most important to us. We deny ourselves, we're not our own. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So believing in Jesus, being a disciple, it's not about understanding some facts in our head, it's about yielding our life and faithful submission to him. He says, count the cost, and then he, he gives two illustrations in verses 28 through 32. The first one's about a tower, at home, this building, and starting to build it, and then you, you don't have enough to finish it. Before I, I, uh, Kelsey and I lived as missionaries overseas, and before I was in ministry, I was a commercial loan officer, and um, very rarely, or not very rarely, never, was there a time that someone came back and said, like, hey, we were actually way under budget. You know, what we gave you, we, we don't really need that much that we asked for in the loan. It's always, hey, we, they decided they wanted to do this, company decided they wanted to do that, and it's more money that you need, right? Jesus says, count the cost, count the cost. It's, it's the same with war. How many times have we just gotten into a war and it was like, all right, yeah, we'll get in this war, and then it, it goes way faster than we expected that it was going to go, it costs way less than what we thought it would. That doesn't happen, right? It's a decade later, trillions of dollars, thousands of lives. Rarely is it less costly than what we expected. A smart general, smart leader is, is gonna count the cost when implementing a strategy. Same with a smart builder. In the same way Jesus is showing us that when we say yes to the Christian life, we need to understand the commitment to Christ that we are making. That's why he says in verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The idea here is saying goodbye to our old way of life, the things that consumed us, and surrendering ourselves to Christ and trusting our entire lives to him. Let me be clear though, what this is not saying is that you have to clean up your life before you can come to Jesus. That's like washing before you take a bath, right? So at the same time though, we shouldn't have the impression and we shouldn't give others the impression when we are sharing the gospel that the gospel is a fix for their temporary lives and it's gonna make everything perfect right now. We should not give them the impression that coming to Christ being a free gift does not mean that once they receive Jesus, that he's not gonna wanna change something about them. Because true life change is a product of true faith. The essence of being a disciple of Christ is total commitment to Jesus. And this means holding on to material things, to things of the world very loosely. And so all who were listening then and all of us who are listening today, we need to count the cost of being disciples of Jesus. But those who choose to reject Christ, they should also count the cost in doing so. Being a disciple can be costly, but we'll see here in a second that it's worth it and opposing Jesus is far more costly. So I alluded to this question earlier, but can I be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus? Because there are people, you know, they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to follow Jesus now. Right? want to go to heaven, don't want to follow Jesus now. I don't want my life disturbed. But the problem with that is God has saved you with a purpose in mind. There are works that he has planned for you. There are things that you are supposed to be walking in. You have a role in his kingdom. You are born into a new family. The church is a new family that you were born into. And it's an eternal one. Colossians 1.13 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're part of this new kingdom. We're pulled out of darkness and we're set in light with this new mission to live for Christ, following the footsteps of Jesus who sacrificed and gave everything for us. When the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, in Mark 10, 44 and 45, Jesus says, whoever will be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're servants of Christ. We're part of this new kingdom, and we're supposed to be building this kingdom. A glimpse at the kingdom we see in Revelation 7, 9, a beautiful picture. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. It's a picture of heaven. It starts going back to what we started with in the home. From your home to the nations, is it worth it? Is being a disciple of Jesus worth it? I don't think anybody that actually has been a disciple of Jesus would ever say, no, it's not. I want to look at two specifically, two of the most popular we have, apostles we have in the New Testament, Peter and Paul, and see what they said about it. First, Peter one three and three through nine. Peter's writing to a church, that churches that are facing severe persecution. He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through resur- the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power." You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he's saying, you're going through tough stuff now, it's hard, I know it doesn't make sense now, but you have joy, you have an inexpressible joy. And is it worth it? Yes. What's the outcome of this? The salvation of your souls. Paul agrees in Philippians three, he writes that whatever gain he had, remember he was rising fast in Judaism, then all of the people, all, all of his peers, right? He, he, he's climbing that ladder. People like him, he is well off. People are looking to him. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says in Romans eight eighteen, 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. One of my favorite missionaries to read about, his name is C.T. Studd. He said this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. As, as, as we get ready to close here today, I want us to understand that if we've received Jesus into our lives, the calling is to follow him. We're his disciples. Our commitment to Christ must take precedence over every other thing in our lives. And Jesus, to make that abundantly clear, uses our family and our own lives to describe it, the commitment to him. So certainly it must take precedence over a career, over hobbies, over something else. Henry Drummond said, entrance into the kingdom is free. The annual subscription is everything. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea that this annual subscription means that there's certain things that you have to do to remain in the kingdom. Because that's not true. That, that grace that you receive can't be taken from you. But when we follow Jesus, it can be costly. I wanna thank dads and moms who are here today who are seeking to live this message out because we have an important call, right? The most important call we can have, I've heard it's apparent. I, I, maybe we put that second. The most important call is to be a disciple of Christ and to make Jesus known. Being a disciple is the, the highest calling one can have. The best dad, the best mom, you are gonna be disciples. But we also have a very important calling if you're a parent in here today, as parents, if you're a dad in here, as a dad, we have an important calling to raise our kids to know the truth, that they would live by the truth. But the enemy knows that, right? The enemy sees that, Satan sees that, and he wants to attack that. And the filth that consumes this world around us, until Christ sets up his rule and reign, it's not going away. Satan's looking for an opportunity for attack the family. And if that means using government, using corporations, using people close to you, he's going to find a way to try to attack there. So how do we counter this attack and live how God intended us to live? Well, as disciples of Jesus, it starts, as I said, in the home, in our own homes, drawing a line in the sand My family's gonna serve the Lord. My family's going to follow the Lord. My kids are going to see that Christ is the most important thing in my life. That we don't just claim Christianity, but that we live it out for all people to see, for our kids to see. And men here today, my challenge for you is to be spiritual leaders in your home. To be spiritual leaders. And and to realize as you're doing that, That you don't have to go at it alone you know I I talked to pastor Tim a little bit and he was telling me how like it's how it's harder for for men to open up harder for men to think that they should be the spiritual leaders and I think that there's a lie that the enemy has told that people have bought into um that spiritual things are more more emotional they're they're more feminine and that it's, it's more for women it's not for men and that's a lie and that's a lie that's that cost us drastically. So, we have places for you to serve. We have places for you to get plugged in. Ben's done an amazing job with the men's ministry here. I would encourage you to find a way to get involved with that. We have small groups that you can get involved in. We have men who are are downtown serving the homeless on Mondays, every single Monday. As we close today, what I wanna do is, as Joel does, invite everyone to the, that needs to come and pray to pray. I'll be down here in the front. Um, but also just invite men. I want to invite men to come down and to pray with your families, to pray for your families, to pray for your kids, to pray for your grandkids, and to pray for, for other families in this church. And then finally, maybe the discipleship just can't be real in your life because... You've never first received that that grace gift. Why don't you guys just bow your heads for me this morning? If you haven't taken that first step in surrendering your life to Christ, and maybe you realize that. You realize that like I've I've just played church. I want you to hear the gospel this morning. In Romans 6 23 it says that, that the penalty, the wages of our sin, is death. So what are wages? Wages are something that we earn. Right? We have earned an eternal separation from God because of our sin. We have fallen short of his glory, but there's a free gift. That free gift is eternal life through Jesus, through what he's done, through trusting in him. In John 1, 12, it says those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What's it mean to receive him? As we place our faith in what Christ has done. He's paid the sacrifice. He's paid the sin debt that we owe to turn from our sin and trust in him and follow him and start this journey, this life of discipleship. If you've never first received him into your life, I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. There's there's not anything that I can say that's a magic prayer, but but if, if your heart's telling you that you need the Lord, I invite you to pray this this morning. God, I confess that I've sinned against you. I have gone my own way. I've done my own thing. And I believe that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity separated from you. And so that's why right now I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I trust, Lord, that you died for my sins. I trust that you rose again from the dead. I believe that. I believe you did that for me. Today I repent, I turn from my sin, and I wanna follow you. Give me your spirit, make me a new person, change me from the inside out. I receive you as savior, and I commit to follow you as Lord of my life. For others in here, maybe you feel like you you haven't been the parent that you need to be, because you haven't been the disciple that you need to be. Maybe you're not a parent, but you realize that, that I have not been a disciple. I claim Christianity, I would not say I'm a disciple of Jesus. You believe you've received him. I just wanna encourage you today. Lord, I pray for, for this church. I pray for those Lord that are here this morning, Lord, that, that they realize that, that they've fallen short. On, the, on their discipleship journey. And, and that's all of us, God. None of us get it totally right. But I pray, Lord, that we would just make disciples in this church and that they would be sent out and that they would make disciples. I pray that it would start in the home and that you would just allow us to see that fruit as you have, Lord, time and time again here in this church and that we would see it throughout the world, God, and that you would use people here for that. We thank you, God, for all that you do. We thank you for the opportunity of being here this morning. I thank you for all the dads once again. We love you. We give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.